Please turn in your Bibles to chapter 3. Ephesians 14 to 21 is what we're working our way through. If you would please follow in the reading of the Holy Word of God. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that He would grant to you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we could ask or think, according to the power that works within us. To Him be the glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus, all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Father, help us. Help us drink deep. Help us to be overwhelmed with the privilege of Your Word the privilege of your precious bride, your body, your church, and the Father will be overwhelmed the understanding that we are heirs, we are joint heirs with Christ. May we never lose sight of that as we focus on the heavenlies to do your work here in the earthlies. To you, my King, amen. I was informed this morning that this text, 14 to 21, today is my 16th message. I think I'm about to set a new world record or something, maybe, huh? Considering I haven't gotten out of verse 18 yet. So, today I will explain to you why. I have a lot of people... Um, I know that uh, a church here in town taught through uh, Ephesians recently. It took them three months. I think somebody got cheated. Because the more I read this text, and I'm talking about the letter to the Ephesians, the more I am overwhelmed. And I become staggered. This text in specifically is interesting. Told you that the first time I ever heard it preached was uh, in my mom's church by a gentleman known as Wayne Barber. I also know that Wayne died a little over a year ago and he was doing a Bible conference at the Cove. In Asheville, North Carolina. It's uh, Billy Graham's place. And he was there for four days. For four days, he dealt with this text. When he finished the text, he went and had him some chicken wings, went back to his cabin, was found dead the next day. No, I ain't done with the text. I ain't dying tomorrow. <laughs> 
But I do believe that this text is very vital. I believe that if you're willing to read it and pray it for yourself, it will transform you. This is possibly the greatest single text to deal with how to get the information out of your head and into your living. And it's very simple, but when you're overcoming human nature, you got your hands full. I brought up that this is my 16th message out of this section. I know I've got one more message on love next Sunday, and then I will be moving into God's fullness. Why do you drag it out so long? This text deals with how to live your life to the fullness. And if you're really honest with the text, I'm talking about the fullness of God. How do I live my temporary life to the fullness of God? This text tells you how to do it. So if you really think about that, just let that rattle around between your ears for a couple of seconds. Do you realize how overwhelming that is? This, as Paul calls it, earthen vessel with a precious treasure inside, living in the fullness of He who the waters fit in the hollow of His hand and the span of His hand is creation. How do I live that way? Well, it takes me back to a time early in my walk with Christ. And I was reminded, I think most of you know, who you have known me for a while, know that I consider that the Bible as the single greatest treasure that a man can possess. Okay? And I think there are times that we get kind of sideways in the world and we forget what a blessing it is to have the Word of God. We tell people, well, that's what the Bible says. But what I have learned is you can bank on it. You can depend on it. Okay? The largest book... In the Bible is the book of Psalms. The largest chapter is Psalm 119. And the emphasis there is the Word of God. Psalm 119 tells me that I can know and be wiser than my enemies. I can have more understanding than my teachers. The New Testament shows me that we that are in the body of Christ have more understanding than the ancients of the Old Testament. Do you realize that Christians are the informed people of the world? I can look and share with you the heartaches and the sufferings of the globe, and I can tell you why. 
How about that? I can also tell you that it's going to get worse. The reason that I can do that is because we have truth. But here's the problem that I've run into. All of this is in this book. The beginning to the end. Eternity past to eternity future. It's all in this book. But one of the things the Bible tells us that I think that we either... I don't know if we ignore it or or if it's just, well, it's just a statement and just keep going. But the Bible is emphatic that we are to drink it in. It doesn't say sip it. It doesn't say gargle with it. It says drink it in. I grew up reading Mark Twain. I I still like Mark Twain. And I remember a quote of his, and I'll quote it here. The trouble with the world is not that people know so little, but the things they do know ain't so. It's pretty impressive. That is what it's like without the Word of God. Pure speculation. The Christians are informed. Christians rise above misinformation. They rise above the ignorance. They are wiser than their enemies. And we possess a massive treasure of the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Heaven and earth will pass away. My Word shall never. Do we understand what a privilege it is? Do you even consider it a privilege? Or... Do you have, you know, I, I see the way it, when I go to Russia, they will not set their Bibles down on the pews or the chairs because that's where people put their butts. They always hold their Bibles in their laps because you've got to understand 70 years, it was against the law to have a Bible. It's a very treasured commodity. We have to take the word and we have to drink it in. That should that really shouldn't be that big a deal for a Christian. I mean, it should be just like the illustration I used last week on breathing. In Ephesians chapter one, verse eight, which he lavished on us in all wisdom. And insight. Look what verse verse 9 says. He has made known to us the mystery of his will. According to his kind intentions. The mystery of his will. Hmm. To reveal these things to babes. 
and to hide them from the wise of the world. Verse 17 of chapter 1, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelations in the knowledge of Him. Now, do you see why I'm parking on this section? Because, brothers and sisters, we need to have our eyes opened up and we need to have a thirst for this book. The eyes of our understanding and the riches of His power, it's all in this book. We have tremendous knowledge And Paul prays that we take advantage of the opportunity. Chapter 3, verse 9. And to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things. Do you realize what he just said there? The mystery of the ages, which God hid. He's now made known to you and I to preach and to live the unsearchable, to see the fellowship of the mystery. Verse 11, chapter 3. This is in accordance with His eternal purpose, which He carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you ever think about that? You and I, Varying backgrounds. We know the eternal purpose that Christ carried out. It's all in this little blue book. Most incredible gift that God could ever give to a man is His Word. Because see, it is through His Word, that is where what? Salvation comes. How will they hear unless someone is making up stories from the weekly press? No. You give them the book. You must drink it in. That is your and my responsibility. Drink it in. That's up to us. We must use it and make it a part of our very life. Do you take the Bible and make it every part of your thinking? Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 15. Jeremiah's praying. Jeremiah had a very, what we would call, unconventional ministry. Okay? He, he had one of those that just, just never did seem to go right. But he was told that. So he's praying in verse 15. You know... You who know, O God, O Lord, remember me, take notice of me, and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. And he had a ton bunch of them. Do not, in view of your patience, take me away. Know that for your sake, I endure reproach. 
Okay? Then here's what he says. Your words were found and I ate them. And your words became for me a joy and a delight of my heart. For I have been called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. You ever thought about that? Have you ever just got into the book and said, This is my joy. This is my delight. You're wondering what I was going to take and read from my little sabbatical. Got any guesses? There's a joy. It brings rejoicing. It brings enjoyment. And Job, Job is the first book that was ever written that we had. Job was having a kind of a tough time of it too. Job 23, verse 12. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Those two guys were in predicaments. And yet they could gather their joy from where? God has given us His Word. It is a tremendous resource. It is very rich. It is a treasure. And it is something to be feasted upon. Okay? Ephesians should remind us what a feast it is. And 14 to 21 is an amazing information as the Apostle Paul prays that we would drink this in. I told you, the Holy Spirit will strengthen you in the inner man. How? When you dwell in the Word. And it's impossible to do it any other way. Don't gargle it. You absorb it. You do not master the Scriptures. The Scriptures will master you. If we are going to take this treasure of the Word of God and the treasure of His indwelling Spirit, if we are going to utilize this, it begins with the inner man. Verse 16. You've got to... You have to have the information put in. The the author is inside of you. And you should hunger and thirst for it. You should absorb it. You should drink deeply of it. I remember Robert Murray McShane said that the only thing that intoxicated him was the Word of God. I'm not going to say, let's go get hammered on the Bible. But but I understand what he was saying. That changing at the moment of your salvation begins the changing of the inner man. We have to allow the Spirit to have control. And if we have to have the Spirit in control, then we have to know what is it the Spirit wants. That information 
is in the 66 books of the Bible. And your inner man will be strengthened. Okay, how can you tell if your inner man is strengthened? It's easy. You're no longer ruled by yourself. You're no longer doing just what you want to do. When that happens, Jesus, the Son of God, will be comfortable. He will be comfortable. Kato Kassiard. He will be comfortable. He will be at home. He will be at ease within these earthen vessels. And in His fullness, He is there because we are believers and He wants to fill us. And what that means is He wants to dominate us. He wants us to decrease and He wants Him to increase. And He do that by the Word of God. Between your ears, as the Holy Spirit strengthens you in the inner man, Christ becomes more and more comfortable. As I used a little illustration of my heart, Christ's home. He begins the cleaning process. And he goes through it. He rearranges your library. He rearranges your dining room. He rearranges your fellowship room. He rearranges your uh, workshop. And then guess what? He goes through and cleans out your closets. He controls our life. But it begins by yielding to the Spirit. And I can only yield to the Spirit if I know what the Scripture says. He controls it. He makes it alive. There's times I've read through the scriptures and said, I don't have any idea what that's all about. And then somewhere down the course of my life, he says, bingo. That's what that's all about. Okay. His control is directed and guided and cleansed there by Christ. And he settles down and he is at home. That brings me to the abundance of love. Miraculous love. Listen, when you dwell in the scriptures, the word of God dwells you. The Holy Spirit will begin strengthening you. As you are strengthened, you start finding out little issues that you didn't know you possessed. Okay? And the person of Christ begins cleansing that. He, 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 he gets it sparkling clean. Then, guess who's seen in you? Christ. People stop seeing you and they start seeing Christ. And they see a peace that surpasses understanding. They see a joy that can never be suppressed. They see kindness and gentleness. See all of these things. And you yield totally to the Lordship of Christ Jesus. And that's what you have. Now, this leads to this miraculous love. And I shared with you that this 
miraculous love should be our nature. Once you have the first two steps in place, the love is natural. I don't have to manufacture it. It is just right there all the time. And you see there that it has a foundation of being rooted and grounded. And then he makes this statement. That you may be able to comprehend with all of the saints. Catalambon. Okay. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden I understand it. It means that I have seized it. It is mine. It is my personal possession. But you see their little phrase? It's all the saints. It's all the saints. It's not just the pastors, Sunday school teachers. That's not, no, it is all the saints should seize this. It should be and being that I am rooted and grounded in this by love because Christ is comfortable. Guess what? It's natural. And once you've got it, you hang on tight. Because we are rooted and grounded, it should be the foundation of our lives. It is that we have seized that and we seize that love at every moment. What is the second greatest commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? Who's your neighbor? Anybody that ain't you. Wow. But you don't understand. I got some lousy neighbors. All right? Yeah, but you know what? You were lousy once. Even though you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. So every moment we should be seizing this love. We experience the knowledge. Okay? And the knowledge is being experienced. You, I can sit and say, love your neighbor as yourself. Everybody go, amen, amen, amen. Have you experienced that? And now be careful because I know a lot of people want to say, well, yeah, man, I, I love this Christ's love. All right. Have you ever complained about somebody? When did Christ ever do that? Uh-oh. No, he didn't. He corrected them on their understanding. That's loving. But he never complained about them. He said, you're just a brood of snakes. Why? Who's the father of the snakes? See, you can... You can have the knowledge, but the question is, have you experienced the knowledge? That's what the Apostle Paul is trying to get to you and me in this prayer. It starts with the Word, and you can only yield to the Spirit with the Word. When you are filled with the Word, then the Word masters you. And every word of the Spirit is there by which you are controlled. 
Have you ever debated with it? It's not mastered you. That's one of the things that I, traveling international, you tell them, okay, they're not asking why. They, that's what it says right there. That's what it says. No problem. That's why it was, it's amazing. I go to the churches, uh, and I noticed this in Russia. There is no divorce. And you're sitting there going, well, wait a minute. No, we don't have divorce. Why? You don't marry outside the congregation. And then you find out they don't even let the young people date. If you want to spend time with them, you go to church. Because they always got something going on in church. So you go to church and then you can spend time. I had a couple that was there. They were my interpreters. Misha and Anya. Uh, Sweet as the day was long. And I was getting ready to leave, and I was leaving the night train out of Oriel back from Moscow. And it was cold and foggy, and it, I think it was raining or thinking about raining or wishing it would rain or something like that. So we go there. Valeri takes me to the train, and he says, we're early. I said, all right. And so I've got a sleeping car, and, and so I'm, I'm getting ready to get, get into the sleeping car. And he says, we must wait. And I said, uh, <laughs> I'm not driving the train, so you tell me why. He says, well, Anna and Misha want to see you and say goodbye to you. I said, all right. Where are they? Well, they had to find a married couple to come with them down to the train station. You're not allowed to go without a married couple with you. Now, guess what? There's no divorce in the church. Why? They do that for the protection of the young believers. And guess what? It seems to be working. Interesting concept. That's when you know it ain't about self, but thy will be done. Okay? Now then, I'm going to give you something else to chew on for just a little bit. A little nugget that you can just kind of slosh around in your mouth. Chapter 5, verse 2. And walk in love. Remember I told you 4, 5, and 6 is what we're supposed to do? Right? Remember I told you that? But you have to know the first three chapters so you can do this. It says walk in love, but that's not where it stops. Okay, let me describe to you what this love is. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. How are you doing with that? Walk in love just as Christ. Hmm. The, he uses the word walk a lot of times in the New Testament Paul's letters. And the reason is, if you think about it, walking is as natural to us once you've mastered it. 
<laughs> but <laughs> once you get up off the crawling and all that stuff, but once you get going, you, you just do it and you don't have to think about it. You don't have to think, okay, now pick up my left leg and just sit down on the heel and roll my foot. My right leg will follow and then I'll lift it up. And see, you don't think about that. You just go do it. Okay? So we walk in love. So what he's trying to say, this is your daily conduct. This is your daily conduct. And it should be natural to us. As Christ has also loved us. Okay, how did Christ love us? Well, he left heaven. To me, that's just, oh man, <laughs> you got robbed. <laughs> but, but he left heaven, okay? But he gave himself for us. Okay? How much? All of it. That is why I call it miraculous love. Because here in chapter 5, the Apostle Paul saying, you've got this miraculous love because Christ is at home in you. Walk in it. That's the kind of love that gives yourself as a sacrifice. Now think about that for a second. Sacrifice means I have to give something that is of value to me. Right? It's funny because I've been in a church long enough. I've been in this church for a long time. 30, 35 years, I think, somewhere in there. And it's funny because you'll get people and they'll say, Hey, I want to donate this to the church. Okay? Why? Because I'm getting a new one. So I'll give you this one. <laughs> okay? Uh, I love you. That's not sacrifice. Okay? Sacrifice says, I'm going to give that that is important to me. That is what the scripture guides us in. And I know that because I have dwelled in the word. Biblical love is always an act of sacrifice. Okay, which means it's got to be something that is of value to me, something of importance to me. And I can just basically say it's unselfishness. Unselfishness. That's sacrifice. As Paul told the Philippians, consider others more important than yourself. That's sacrifice. That is the kind of love God is after. That is why Paul understands, I need to pray about this. It's miraculous. He wants us to live in love. And you know what? If you're truly honest with yourself, that is the only way you'll ever be happy. Listen, how much happiness does bitter and anger help? It just cheers you up and everybody wants to be around you when you're always bitter and angry. Right? Galatians chapter 5. The whole law is fulfilled 
in one word. Verse 14. In the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Do you realize what he just said there? The 66 books that make up the Bible can all be summarized in love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are in opposition to one another, that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Why? Because it is now natural to you. The deeds of the flesh are evident, and they're a blast. It doesn't say that. That's paraphrased. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I will forewarn you, those who practice them will not enter the kingdom. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. And from that love comes joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You are in Christ. You have crucified the flesh. Now then, out of those two lists, which one do you think would make you happier? I mean, really. So the basis of human happiness is based on miraculous love. We need to learn we need to learn to love. If you're having trouble with that, back up. Get back into the word of God. Yield to the Spirit of God. Let Him control your life so Christ can settle down and fill your life with His love. Sacrificial, selfless love. And remember what I said. You can comprehend with who? Which ones? All of them. This is not a, uh, some people are special. You know, I remember young in my ministry, young in, well, actually before I was even doing anything, I was in the process of dwelling in the Word. And I have told you guys this numerous times. So, you know, I'm not a people person. Okay. So if you're not a people person, how do you love? It's easy. Stay away from people. Or you'll hear someone say, well, that's, that's just not my temperament. See, there's, there's some people who are just bubbly lovely. And they just all over the place. Okay? Well, according to this here, it says, 
Every saint has seized this. Now, I do want to be emphatic. It will be expressed in different ways. Okay? Because I see people, love is not icky sentimentalism. Okay? Actually, icky sentimentalism is easy compared to selfless, sacrificial walk as Christ love. It is something that is comprehended in our text. The word in the original language is it is seized. It is personally possessed by all of the saints. If they're not expressing this or not showing this, you need to understand Christ is not at ease. The Holy Spirit has not strengthened the inner man. And you can bet the farm that they're not dwelling in the word. Do you realize it's for you? Every single one of us. God wants all of us to know that love. God wants all of us to experience that love. Think about what this congregation would be like if each and every one of us walked in the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ and just poured it out everywhere we went. Oops, I spilled. Listen, you will never find it anywhere aside from in Him, in Christ. Verse 19. You will know the love of Christ, which what? Surpasses knowledge. It is beyond knowing. That's why I told you guys we need to get into this book. You guys keep, you know, I, I can't believe you're taking that long to go through it. I can't believe someone would cheat a congregation and do this in months. And you're passing up the love of Christ that surpasses Knowledge. Now note that verse closely. It is not love for Christ. Okay? It is the love of Christ. It is that love that hung him on that cross. That love. That surpasses knowledge. The very same love Christ has. That love. I don't know about you, but to me, that's just right up there with, I don't know what the word is. Amazing? Phantasmagorical? uh, I don't know. I don't know what it is. The love of Christ. His very love sees it. In John's Gospels, chapter 14, 15, and 16, it's called the Upper Room Discourse. He's explaining to the boys that he's getting ready to exit stage left. Okay? And he's teaching that he is leaving them, and he is going to suffer terribly. Okay? 
in this discourse. But he says his peace, his joy, his power, his resources, and his love, he's leaving us. You got those. I'm going to suffer. But my peace and my joy, my power, resources, my love, I'm leaving you. I'm going to leave it in your possession. You know what that means? We can now love with his love. Now, I hate to break the news to you. I'm not the brightest bulb in the package. But I know many believers fight that. Most believers that I have been time with think that love is something emotional. You know, because we, we, you will hear people say in, you know, I don't really care for those people. I don't have a lot of, in common with them, but I, I love them in Christ. Really? Too many in the body of Christ right now have created some kind of a spiritual love that is not biblical. It is not the love of Christ. Because if you think that you've got to love somebody because you have something in common, then I'll ask you a stupid question. What kind of in common do you have with Christ? And yet, He loves us. Christ wants us to love not with our love. He wants us to love with His love, which He has given us. To love in the same manner and actions that He loves. Remember chapter 2? Or verse 2 of chapter 5? Walk in love just as Christ. Sacrificially. Selflessly. Givingly. Offering ourselves up for the behalf of their needs. For their behalf. Who would that be? Interesting concept, isn't it? Listen, this can only be done when we are controlled by the Holy Spirit. It is the love of Christ. It is not love for Christ. That which passes knowledge. You know why he uses that phrase? Is because no human can know that love apart from Christ. The world doesn't get it. Okay? You know what? You will see people talk about family love. Ain't even close. That ain't even a drop in the bucket to what the love of Christ is. Do you understand because of this text that this can be expressed in every human relationship? Think about that for a second. Think about where you work. Think about your neighbors. 
Think about your spouse. Think about your kids. Kids, think about your parents. There is not a relationship on the planet Earth that this love cannot be utilized. Every human relationship. And think about what the family of Christ should look like. Believers. Believers. We each possess a love that passes knowledge. It's miraculous. It's phantasmagorical. You can't even grasp it. It completely dwarfs the world's knowledge of love. All the world's love is based on self. There's a Greek word. It's always translated as a personal pronoun. And it's spelled Epsilon Gamma Omega. We pronounce it ego. That's the world's love. I love me and I like what you can do for me. God's love. I want you to think about this because this is part of the reason that Paul praised this. God's love should be a love by nature. That sacrificial, selfless love should be absolutely natural to every believer because it is comprehended, it is seized by all of the saints. You exist so you get it. You're still alive. You still have it. Remember, faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is what? Love. Why? Faith and hope will pass away. When I see him face to face, I don't need faith anymore. I see him face to face, I don't need hope anymore. I I, I just, I, I can't even articulate what this is. I wrote this down, and when I wrote it down, I thought, well, this seems kind of silly, but I'm going to say it anyway. I'll love you forever because you look perfect in Christ. See, when I look at the world, yeah. I see the world, you hear divorces now, irreconcilable differences. And I was like, what the heck does that mean? Why'd you ever get married? Because I got news for you. There's no two people who are the same, so there's going to be some differences. Okay? The world sees love and it's good until you offend me. Okay? You offended me, so I don't love you no more. God's love is forever, even though you and I never stop offending Him. Do you know that right now you are offending God? There's not a nanosecond of your existence that is not an offense to God. Now, how can I say that? You're telling me that right now you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right now. No, you don't. And that's an offense. And you know what? He's, he still pours His love into our hearts through the Spirit. 
He still loves us. We were looking at that today. What can separate you from the love of Christ? What can separate you from the love of God? Not a thing. Not even your own personal offenses. Now do you understand why it's above knowledge? It surpasses knowledge? Now then. That's the kind of love that every believer brings to a relationship. That's the kind of knowledge, that's the kind of love that a believer brings to every human relationship. Listen, the world's wisdom is clueless. Okay, the the, the world's love is for what it can get. We love for what we can give. Understand that privilege? Do you ever think about that? I love you for what I can give you. It's an interesting concept. When the world is falling apart all around us, we have a peace that surpasses knowledge because the peace is presented to us by the God of peace. When the world is running around mad and angry and bitter and vengeful and all the rest, we run around and give the love of Christ, which was a gift to us. You know, I, I, the more I look at this, the more I realize that the song Amazing Grace is so inadequate. I mean, it, you know, I, I, it's it just, that, that's an understatement. I mean, that in his love. And then you, you read, the, the, oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. And you're like, you stand back and go, but that same love is he sacrificed his best for me, even though I'm an offense. So, if you've noticed, I have not gotten into the height or the depth or the breadth or the length. And I will deal with that next week. I have not forgotten. Okay. But just remember these things. One, the Spirit strengthens the inner man. And He does it by you and I diligently dwelling in the Word. When that happens, we are strengthened in the inner man by the authority of God's Word and the power of the Spirit of the living God then Christ dwells. Okay? If you think about it from this perspective, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God. Wait a minute. If the Word is dwelling me, and Christ is dwelling me, that means I'm being dwelt by what? The Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. When all of that is taking place, I find joy and my delight in this book. When I do that, then Christ is at home 
then I experience and I exude miraculous love. A love that I can experience and that I can pour out that surpasses knowledge. It's awesome. Paul lays this out here for us. And all I can think is, let us drink it in. And I understand why he had to stop and say, man, I better pray about this. Because this is going to cause brains to hurt. So, let us pray. Father, we come before you. As I look at this, I feel so inadequate to even try to share this. But Father, you tell us we comprehend it with all the saints. Father, may we be overwhelmed by it. Maybe if we even need to have our hearts broken by it. But Father, let us walk it. Let us walk in love just as Christ sacrificed for us. Help us, Lord. Help us. Help us to drink this in. Help us to be overwhelmed by it. Help us to be encouraged by it. It will only be by you. Strengthen us with power through your spirit in our inner man's. Let us be rooted and grounded in miraculous love. Father, that we would be able to seize this with all the saints. In Christ's name, amen.